We are live. Welcome, everyone, to the very first webinar of August being the featured month of Facing History and Ourselves on Connected Learning TV. We're so glad you joined us. And if you joined us for this series, we hope you'll also share it with your networks and invite other people to jump right in. Um, our webinar series is called Creating Student Upstanders in Today's World. And that starts very often with our classrooms. So that's where we'll start today with our first webinar. I'm Mary Hendra. I lead the work of Facing History in Ourselves in Los Angeles and many of our statewide initiatives. And I am joined today by Dennis Barr, Doc Miller, and Stephanie Carrillo. Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at the strategies that can help students develop their voice and their sense of agency in the world today. And uh, before we dive into that chat, let's go over a few quick things. Okay. If you are living, watching live right now, uh, we welcome your comments and questions. They can be done through the Google Plus Classroom um, or you know, directly in the viewer that you have in front of you. You can also participate on Twitter with the hashtags ConnectedLearning or Upstander. And this webinar is also being um, co-streamed by the National Writing Project. And we're thrilled to have their support as well on the Educator Innovator blog. So let's dive in first with some quick introductions. Stephanie, would you like to start? Um, yes, my name is Stephanie Carrillo, and I am the Director of Diversity and Inclusion here at UCLA. And I'm also a history teacher for uh, the last 20 years. Dennis and Doc, would you like to share your bios? Hi, I'm Doc Miller, and I'm the Senior Associate for Staff Development here at Facing History and Ourselves in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, I was 36 years a uh, middle school social studies, mostly eighth grade teacher, and I've worked and been training teachers uh, at Facing History for the past 33 years. I'm Dennis Barr. I'm the Director of Evaluation at Facing History and Ourselves. And this is a topic that I'm interested in both from a research standpoint because um, I believe the classroom climate is really a critical aspect of learning and uh, also from a teaching aspect as I have been and continue to be a teacher myself. Great. And it's wonderful that within this webinar we have people with the experience at public schools, at private schools, at university level, and at secondary um, level throughout our, our country, really, with both, both coasts. So um, welcome. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. And Dennis, let's start with you. Um, can you give us just kind of big picture? What have you learned over the years with studying classroom climate? Well, student voice and agency and motivation are really critical to learning. And uh, a safe and reflective classroom environment um, is critical to uh, engage students and to foster their participation. And ultimately, with um, the experience of a classroom, positive classroom climate over time, there are academic, civic, and social-emotional learning benefits that I'll get into later when I go a little bit more into detail with um, research that supports what I just said. Great. So, um, Doc and Stephanie, um, what have you seen in a big picture in your classrooms 
that um, the role, what have you seen the role of creating a safe classroom in ultimately helping your students become upstanders? Go ahead, Stephanie. I think that um, after developing a safe classroom environment and the students start to see that their voice matters uh, within our classroom, they can extend that into bigger areas and start to feel like their voice matters at the school and they start to push for changes at school um, and standing up for things they believe in, you know, just within their peer group. And over time, kids even want to extend that even further. You know, what can we do for our neighborhood? What can we do for our community? And it just um, helps kids to see themselves as people with power to change things and and that once they have a sense of that where they take it it's like unimaginable almost just how far they can go Unmute you. Okay. Yep. I guess I would add to that um, I was thinking I, I've worked with facing history for 33 years but um, for most of that time I was in the classroom when I uh, retired from the classroom a few years back they asked me after all these years uh, in, in practicing and teaching and reflecting on the practice of teaching, what's the most important thing? What hit you as one of the key most important things? And right away, first thing I thought about is creating a reflective classroom community. And all those words are important for me. Um, I, I really think, for me, a phrase has been central to me phrase that comes from uh, uh, John Dewey uh, that talks about creating the classroom as a community of learners. And I think that mindset, I think it was key for me as the teacher in the classroom to really think of us, when I say us, I mean myself and the students, as, as really fortunate. We were a community of learners. We were here to look at the world and what's important in the world and how we can make a difference in creating a more just and compassionate world. And, and that mindset that we are in this together, examining, digging in, looking at life, looking at history, looking at the world today. And uh, once that community of learners is established, and this is what I felt when Facing History asked me that question, once that's established, you are ready to go. Because it creates the groundwork for you diving in, whether you're talking about historical events, current events, ethical questions, emotional engagement, intellectual rigor. If you've got a community of learners there who know that they're respected as thoughtful learners, you are really ready to go and you look at not only what's going on in that classroom, but what's going on outside as well. So um, to me, that's always been absolutely central and, and I think uh, the most important component. Once that's created, everything flows from that. I love that idea and the importance of that word community, um, a reflective classroom community or a community of learners. Do you want to continue, Doc, a little bit and share, you know, like how do you do it? How do you create that community from the yeah. very beginning? That, that's a great question, Mary. Um, I think it's many things and I think it takes time. Although I think it starts the, the second the bell rings for the first class and the first, uh, first day of school. Um, I, I have a series of, of components that um, I have written about and thought a lot about in terms of what I think creates helps to create a reflective. They're not the it's not an uh, exclusive. I think there are other um, components to a reflective classroom, and I'll mention a few of them now and maybe later in our conversation as well. But the first one that hits me is mutual respect. When I start school day one, 
on the first day, instead of, and I'm not saying this is the only way to do it at all, but the way I would do it is I'd say, I know you get a lot of rules from teachers at times, and they list guidelines and rules and so on. And I basically say, in this classroom, we have one rule, and it's respect. I write it in gigantic letters on the board. Um, and, and what does that mean? And, and, and we talk about it. But that sense of deep, the deep dignity of everybody in that classroom, that there's uh, what uh, I taught in, in um, a community where the um, uh, 100 years ago the superintendent uh, referred to the importance of having a reverence for each student. And I think that sense of the deep dignity of each person, what does that mean? What does that play out? I'm just staying with this respect for a minute because it sounds like mom and apple pie. Duh, of course, everybody wants respect. But what's important is how it plays out. When you're having a discussion on day one, day two, day six, and you ask the students uh, their opinion on something. And somebody has the courage to participate and say what they think might be an answer. And somebody on the other side of the room says, that is so stupid. How do we respond? I guarantee day one, day two, day three, especially these early days, every student in the classroom is looking at you as the educator. How are you going to respond? And what they're really seeing is, is this going to be a safe place where I can share my thoughts, my feelings on the important topics we're going to dive into? And how we respond. I think there's a variety of ways teachers can respond. and I'm sure we could all share ideas around that. But the fact is, we need to respond. If we say it's going to be respect, then how do we show it? And there's a variety of ways of doing that. And if we need to get into some of the possibilities later. I always enjoy talking about that with teachers, but that mutual respect for each other, and that it's not just on the board, it's not just written day one, it's embedded in who we are, so that when we share, we listen to each other, and we talk, and we address those issues. Um, I can go on. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, part of what I heard from you that is distinct than um, how we sometimes see respect played out in that beginning is that often it's talked about what do we want from the students, or that we want students to express respect to their peers, to their work, to themselves. But what I heard in yours was the, the reverence, you use that term, that the teacher gives each one of those individual students in their classroom, and that that's part of what really creates that environment. And I could see that for students, like to come into a classroom where they know that they are valued by the teacher, that's pretty significant. I really think it is. And I think that 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 one of the most important qualities is the teacher, she or he, has to have that attitude deeply embedded in themselves. It's almost a spiritual quality of like seeing each student with deep dignity, with a sense of reverence towards them. because. And that you're not afraid to address that and speak to it, because that's essential. Once the students see that, just as you said, Mary, they're looking to the teacher at this point to see, is this going to be a safe place? And once they see that the teacher is not going to allow for people to be treated or mistreated in a way and put down, and that this is a safe place where they're going to be respected. They respect each other. They respect what we're studying. They respect the teacher. And it's all mutual. That mutual respect, when they get that that's key, it's safe, and then that opens doors. And that's what I really feel. It opens doors for deep learning. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, Stephanie, you're getting ready for a new classroom in, in another week or two, right? Can you tell us what you're planning? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to echo what Doc says about it starts immediately. And um, literally on the first day of school, I'm at the door greeting every student as they walk in and saying hello, shaking their hands. And some of them are kind of like, you know, oh, why? You know, <laughs> they're kind of surprised. Um, and I really want to look every kid in the eye from the get-go and say, like, I see you. I see you. I acknowledge you. I'm happy that you're here. Welcome to our class. Um, in the very beginning, I spend like the first two days just doing identity activities. And I always tell the kids, I preface it with like, we can't understand the history we're studying until we understand ourselves. You have to recognize who we are in the room, you know, all the things that make us who we are, um, so that, because we're going to leverage that for when we look at history. We're going to think about who we are and how we understand uh, what's playing out in history. Um, and you know, I teach at an independent school. It's a small school. So the kids, you know, at first are like, oh, is this going to be one of these, you know, tell us what you did over the summer, you know, just sort of uh, icebreaker things. And I'm like, no, I really want to know you. Um, so they create identity charts. Uh, we have a gallery walk of identity charts. We have a gallery walk of I am poems or like identity bio poems. Um, and I challenge them to see new things about the kids they think they know because some of them going to school together for you know since kindergarten and we're in 10th grade um, and I asked them to comment about what did they learn new about their peers and you know typically I don't know them at all yet so I've learned a lot um, we do contracting where I ask them you know this is before I don't do I don't talk about the syllabus on the first two days of school I don't talk about the course contents it's really about letting them know that the class is about them and they um, they're really happy to know that you know and so we talk about contracting I ask them you know when you were in a class that you learned a lot and it felt safe and it felt good and you thought man I loved that class what about it can you say what about it would you like to replicate and I ask kids and they put it on note cards and I put those note cards up and I put them around the wall and I say this is what's gonna hold us in this is what we're gonna create in this space this is what we want it's our class we come up with some rules and you know all the rules are in the affirmative I mean it's never don't this or don't that it's you know we're gonna show respect we're gonna do this um, and they respond very positively to it because um, they created it. It's theirs. I let them know from day one. It's not my classroom. It's their classroom. We're all learning together. We're all growing together. We're all here to support each other. Um, and I, I just think that's such an important message to start with. And they really respond. I love that. Remembering whose classroom it is and whose community it is is really important. Um, Stephanie shared a couple of you know your favorite strategies. I heard you talk about identity charts, um, po poetry, bio poems, or I'm from poems, um, and contracting, which are great strategies to start the year. Um, Doc, do you have any favorites that you like to start the year with or use with teachers? One of the things that I do um, with the students is uh, um, pair them up with a series of questions and then um, have them introduce each other. Uh, as Stephanie said, even though they have been uh, sometimes for seven, eight, nine years uh, um, classmates, uh, there's so many things they don't know about each other and they find that interesting. I really want to piggyback on what Stephanie said too. I love some of the strategies that she mentioned. I'll mention one more strategy that I use that I, I have found 
in helping to create a reflective classroom that is, has proved pretty effective. Um, when we're having, and this can happen early in the year as well as throughout the year, um, when we're having a discussion and it's around a, say we've gotten into some issues uh, and it might be a controversial issue and there's a variety of opinions expressed in the classroom and students have really disagreed. Uh, it could be about the death penalty, gun control, uh, you know, we could name a number of different issues that they uh, disagree on. And uh, there's been a variety of opinions expressed. When there is about four or five minutes to go in class, one of the things that I've done is I have um, said, what I want you to do, I said, thank you, we've had a great, very rich discussion, heard a variety of opinions. What I want you to do is write down the name of the student in the class who influenced your thinking the most. What she or he said got you thinking more deeply, influenced your thinking. Write down that student's name in your notebook and then write a sentence or two as to how they influenced your thinking. I have silence, let them write down the name, how the student influenced their thinking, and then I just invite, they don't have to share it out loud, but I invite who would be willing to share. And all of a sudden, one says, it was uh, Jane. Even though I don't agree with Jane and what she said, and I still don't agree with what she said, I never saw it from this point of view. She challenged me to think about that. I never saw that before. All of a sudden, Jane lights up. Are you kidding me? What I said, Juan was really open to hearing that. I, I, and he was. And, and when I have a few students share, they see how they impact each other. It's not a debate as much as it's an enlightening of each other. It's enlarging our thinking and enhancing our thinking and sharing how we as a community do that. So that very simple little last five minutes of class strategy, when we've discussed a controversial issue, has proved to not only get the kids see how they influence each other, but also really help to create that spirit of community that we're after. That's great. And it's, and it's nice to think about it's not just the strategies we do at the beginning of the period, but also throughout and at the end of the period that we're still continuing to build community. Um, I want to share, I'll take a minute for a, um, a plug. The LA staff um, has been thinking about this webinar. We're really excited about having this opportunity to really talk about safe and reflective classrooms, right as so many California teachers are headed back into the classroom. And it's inspired us to do a quick uh, blog series over the next week sharing our favorite strategies on this front, too. So I'm excited, and I hope people will continue the dialogue throughout the week um, and see the blog posts as, and share what they're doing as they're starting their classrooms in the next few weeks. Um, let's go for you know one more question on the very practical side of things to to Doc and to Stephanie. Um, what happens? We've all had times where, despite our best efforts, you know the classroom climate just goes south. You know maybe it's you know change in who's in the classroom. It's things that are happening outside the classroom during that year. Maybe it's something that we didn't do at the beginning that, for whatever reason, you know it hits mid semester, mid year and we need to recharge our community. We need to find some way to, to recapture a community that's more positive. Um, any thoughts about how to do that? Stephanie, you want to? Yeah, um, one thing that I did with my students um, after the first trimester when kids were feeling, I don't know, just, you know, they were feeling a little frustrated, feeling a little low about, especially the freshman class, were like, oh, grades, you know, oh, wow, um, not where I want to be, and just, you know, kind of a malaise set over the class. Um, 
I brought in um, art supplies, and of course that uh, just immediately, you know, kids perk up when they see that there's art supplies in the class, and you know, today we're going to be doing, you know, we're going to be making something for our class. They were so excited, um, and what I did is I had cut out uh, different color squares. Um, they were all the same size, and I said we're going to make a quilt of all our intentions for this, the rest of the school year. You know, what are our best intentions going forward? What do we want to see? What do we want to do? You know, personally, uh, personal goal for the class, personal uh, community goal for the class. And they designed their own little quilt panels. And we put it together. And it stayed up on the wall for the rest of the year. And it really, that, you know, half a class period where they built it, they were just so excited to be able to express themselves artistically. Some of them just to think about, okay, yeah, the year's not over. I can still make changes. I can commit to putting something on paper that everyone's going to see. And I had it on the wall all year, and it really, it really did change the tenor of the class. They just kind of needed to regroup and rethink about, you know, what they wanted to do. And I think the fact that it hung on the wall was just like this reminder of this is what we said. All the squares are there. We built it together. We're going to make it happen. So that was something I did this past year. I love it. Doc? Okay. Um, when you asked that question, Mary, one word leaped to my mind, and that word is acknowledge. If we've lost that momentum, if the energy is not there, if it's time to restart and we don't have it, one of the things I have found most helpful is to say it. Is, is to say, I'm really sensing, you know, it might be the time of year, it might be the end of the day, it might be what they had earlier in the day, it might be uh, people were frustrated with the discussion, it could be any one of a number of things, but one of the things I have found enormously helpful as a teacher is to acknowledge it, to say, I'm really sensing now that this is difficult for us to focus. We've got this next period ahead of us, there's important material we need to dig into, and, and and I'm sensing that we're low, and I appreciate that, and I can even see why. And then what I do is then I ask, and I'm asking you. I'm asking us as a community of learners. I can promise you I'm going to give all I've got in this next 60 minutes or whatever it is. You know, And I'm asking the same of you, even though I recognize that for such and such reasons it might not be all that easy to pour ourselves into it. I have found, you know, and this is a quality that I think kids get. Teachers who are honest, and I mean emotionally honest, intellectually honest, just saying and naming what's going on and asking and saying, we're in this together. I go back to the Dewey thing. We are a community of learners, and 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 let, and let here's what's going on. How do you see it? Um, here's what I'm asking, and I hope we can do it together. So that acknowledging and asking. I also think, I thought of, in my second year teaching, I moved to a new school. The principal got up and gave a speech, and he said, before school started, he said, don't tell anybody I said this. So here I am, and it's uh, 45 years later, because that was 1970, and I'm telling what he said. He said, I believe in variety for the sake of variety. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, and Stephanie reminded me of it when she talked about bringing in uh, uh, an opportunity for them to do something different, and, and I find that very um, helpful too. Shifting things up, getting them up, moving around, more actively engaged can be another way to do it, especially when they're tired, when it's at the end. They need to be energized. Um, a, uh, I'll give one specific strategy that I found helpful 
that I would never do. Well, I don't do early in the year. I didn't do earlier in the year, but I, but when I've been with him for a few months, I I I taught in a public school uh, for for uh, thirty four of the thirty six years I taught, and uh, um, I remember I remember earlier in my career, the students would all raise their hand, and I remember saying to them. I was a young teacher. It was my first year, first or second year teaching. I thought, this is crazy. You don't really have to raise your hands to talk. Let's I'll ask a question and just talk. Well, I did, and what happened? You got it. Chaos. Everybody talking at the same time. 20 years later, I came back, and I said, you know, I've been at this for 20 years now. I told them what happened 20 years ago. I said, what do you think happened? They said, chaos. Everybody talking. I said, yep, you got it. So I said, do you think we can have a conversation? I could throw out a question. And you don't have to raise your hand. I don't have to call on you, and we can just talk to each other. And they said, no. Um, <laughs> uh, I said, well, 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 what would it take? And, this, and Stephanie has said a few things that reminded me of this. I said, what would it take to have a successful, what we call, no-hand discussion? And we created a criteria. And I asked them, and, they, and I wrote it on the board as they gave answers. And they said, respect for each other. Um, not interrupting quiet kids having the courage to, to speak. And they went on and on um, with what is needed. I'm telling you, it should have been given to the UN because their criteria for what will make a no-hand discussion work was fantastic. I put it on the board. I said, you want to try it? And they said, yeah, okay. Um, so I asked a question, obviously an open-ended question where there'd be a variety of opinions. It's so hard for the kids who are trained to raise their hand in a class of 25, you know, they're like, and oh, I got my hand down, just talk. They tried it, and it was beautiful. It's beautiful watching it unfold. You know, at least that was my experience. It's a skill, so it takes time to learn. But students would speak. I might throw out a question around gun control, just to use a quick example. And somebody will express one side of the argument. Somebody else will be really strong on the other. Sometimes they start going after one kid that said a real controversial. I might have to come in and say, wait a minute, okay, that's what um, Carlos said, but let's hold off on not just what Carlos said, what do you think should be done and bring it back. Again, okay, let's keep it going. After we go for another five minutes or so with them trying to do the no-hand discussion, I then say, and this is my favorite part, I then say, now I want anyone who hasn't spoken yet, uh, only students who haven't spoken yet, to um, add what they think in terms of this. I love this because it's creating space for those quiet kids whose voices are so often not heard in the classroom. And it opens the door, and I love hearing their voices start to be expressed. And it's really thoughtful. Um, and then I come back and give them a little more time. And then when the discussion's done, I don't continue on the content, but I go right to the criteria. How do we do? How do we do on interrupt? How did we do on the courage to speak? How did we do on this? And it's a, and I said, look, it's like shooting foul shots in basketball. It's like hitting a baseball. You need practice. It's a skill that we, that you and we, we as a community of learners, need to work on. You want to try it again, perhaps, when we come to another open-ended question. Yeah, we do. We do. And we found it as a skill that um, really helped us, again, create that reflective classroom where it wasn't just teacher-centered. It was really them talking and listening to each other. So just another quick strategy. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and it's fun to hear all these strategies. Um, I want to turn us back to Dennis a little bit. His, um, I also remember there there can be um, 
as much as I want to set up my classroom, there can be that sense of pressure of like, I need to get to the curriculum. I need to start teaching the history. Um, and Dennis, I'd love for you to slow us down and, and help us remember why it's so important. Excuse me, it's so important to do this. Sure. What does the research show? Sure. Um, it's interesting what you just said that the pressures that, and there's so many of them on teachers these days, um, that that can really inhibit um, the teacher feeling comfortable doing all of these incredibly uh, effective things that um, Doc and Stephanie have mentioned. Um, so I, I wanted to step back for a second and, and recognize that a lot of teachers who even have the time and don't feel you know, overwhelmed by the pressures um, might feel it effic what I would call efficacy doubts, um, which just is a complicated, jargony way of saying, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and I think that um, there's a lot that goes into this that Doc and Stephanie can make sound really incredibly easy, but this comes out of a lot of experience. So I want to break things down a little bit, and I want to say that um, teachers need um, time and support from colleagues and an atmosphere. You mentioned the principal, an atmosphere that encourages the same kind of learning that uh, needs to go on in classrooms. That same kind of atmosphere, reflective and safe atmosphere, needs to be present for teachers as well. And by engaging teachers in professional development and, and other kinds of um, collegial communities that can support um, support them, it's possible to help teachers feel much more confident to do what, what I'm calling student-centered teaching. But you know, pretty much uh, a lot of what has been spoken about so far can fit under that umbrella of this is what I would call student-centered, meaning that the teacher feels ready and able to learn from students and to allow students to lead and to give students the opportunity to meet their needs for autonomy, for belonging, and, to, and for competence. And, um, and so the, the teacher um, can, uh, over time, with support, of course, become really competent in this, and the benefits are, out, are amazing. And now I want to move into a little bit of the research that, that supports that statement. The benefits, first of all, for the teacher are that the teacher is going to learn who these students are in a much deeper way what they think, how they're thinking about issues, how different students are thinking about issues, and that gives a teacher a lot of information that they can use then to tailor their instruction more carefully to where the students are. Um, but then the benefits uh, for students are also enormous. So um, I want to move a little bit to um, some slides that I've prepared. I'm going to uh, move to the slides, and you won't be able to see us here, Doc and I, um, while we do that. But after I've looked at a couple of slides with you, I'm going to bring us back. So if you'll just bear with me for a moment. So you should be seeing a diagram, and I, I label it the significance of classroom climate. And I put the, the open classroom climate in yellow. Now, I'm calling this an open classroom climate. I'm going to define it in a minute. But um, researchers have landed on this term uh, because it incorporates so many of the important things that, that we think are, are necessary for students to develop as engaged uh, learners and as engaged citizens. So student-centeredness includes things like inclusiveness, respect, and the, and the tone of respect that Doc spoke about 
allowing opportunities for deliberation of important and unsettled, perhaps, but in important societal and political issues, and, in, and they're engaging. So I'm going to come back to this, this uh, diagram, but let me show you. Uh, this is a list of uh, teacher practices that reflect those um, concepts, and that this is actually a survey that um, I've used in my research and many others have used as well. The teacher expects students to respect one another, as, as um, we've heard. The teacher expects students to listen. T students won't be allowed to make fun. Teachers encourage uh, open discussion of, uh, of issues that with uh, hearing different points of view. The teacher listens. The teacher treats students as individuals and not as members of groups to which they belong. The teacher encourages students to make up their own minds. And the teacher focuses on issues that matter. So this is a, this is a survey that was given uh, to, uh, to, it's given in research to students. So I want to go back up to this. And on the left side, you see a circle. It's a support for teacher awareness and skills. With that and, and with teacher practice, teachers can increase their sense of efficacy in creating this kind of classroom that's deliberative and student-centered. Now, Facing History has, a, a me has methodology and content that, um, that Facing History believes is meaningful and you know, reflects the tenets of student-centered learning. So when the teacher uses those methods and creates this climate, students will be more motivated, more engaged, develop a sense of voice. All of that together will lead to social-emotional development, academic development, and civic development. I, I gave in purple some examples of outcomes, but practicing perspective-taking, standing in someone else's shoes, it's not just something that we talk about as important in education, but we've also, there's a long history of, of research on perspective-taking and how important it is as a life skill. It's a 21st century skill. It's important for work and for human relationships. Persistence is really important as well. Um, and believing that you can be confident and that you will achieve your goals and that they have a mindset that you can learn. And civic competencies like uh, political expression, um, being able to stand up for what you believe in, to engage with others and learn from others and uh, deliberate, as I mentioned earlier. So I want to skip to, this is a civic self-efficacy scale that we used in our research, and I'm showing you these scales because I want to talk about what we found with respect to the actual relationship between teacher confidence in creating a student-centered classroom and how students develop. So this is a student outcome uh, measure that just is basically that I feel I know and can participate in the important, you know, in the civic sphere. I know what's happening. I pay attention to the news, and I can make a difference. And then this is a scale that we've used that really relates directly to upstanding. You know, reporting that I've stood, stood up for someone who was bullied, that I've stood up for someone who was being discriminated against, and I've told someone who was making prejudiced comments that I thought it was wrong to do that. So how does a safe and reflective classroom lead to these kinds of outcomes? Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you look at it, that student-centeredness that on the left, the teacher feeling confident in creating a student-centered open classroom climate is related to more political expression in students, a greater sense of civic self-efficacy, more sense that they have the opportunity to talk about civic issues, and the engagement civic-oriented, which is the upstanding, actual upstanding behavior. The same with deliberation, although 
deliberate feeling that you can create a deliberative classroom is related to social and ethical competencies and the per students' perception that the climate is open and that students have a more sophisticated understanding of and skills for engaging in relationships. So finally, I just wanted to say, you know, within social emotional learning, there, there's this major study that looked at over 200, looked at 213 research studies and the learning environment on the left that you see, coupled with explicit social skills development, leads to increases in social emotional skills, that's the 20, 22% increase and 9% increase in attitudes, which are related then to academic achievement, pro-social behavior, and decrease in conduct problems and emotional distress. I'm going to come back now to, um, if I can, to sharing my screen, unsharing my screen. Sorry, it's taking me a moment. Oh, stop sharing. I see it. All right, there we are. Sorry about the technology, but we're back. Um, so I just wanted to give a little context, and I just wanted to make one additional comment, which is that for, for students who are um, historically have been marginalized, um, student populations that have been marginalized, these findings are especially robust. In other words, the, the classroom it reflects, the classroom can be a place where competencies can be practiced and experiences can be had that can reflect and also change the, the wider environment. Stephanie alluded to this earlier. With practice and voicing and feeling that your voice matters, with attention to identity and that my identity as an individual is important, um, that, that people value me as an individual, the engagement and learning, these are not only for the classroom and for the individual, but they are actually, they send a ripple effect out. Um, with coupling classroom, you know, improving classroom climate and using student-centered methods with whole school change methods is the most robust uh, way to go. But I just wanted to point out that um, for certain populations, these opportunities, this respectful, safe climate can open up uh, opportunities for some populations to a great extent. Thank you. And it's, it's in many ways, it feels very affirming to, to see that data and to know that that study is there. I think when with my own classroom, like, I knew there was an impact. And if my students felt like it was a community, I mean, it's a great place to come to. But it also felt like the students were more engaged and they were potentially learning more. Um, so I love that that is what you find, that both on the social emotional learning and on the academic achievement, that that students are developing skills that um, that are very tangible that they'll take with them. Absolutely. So, given the power of this, um, I'm wondering, like, how do we take this outside of just a safe and reflective classroom? Are there ways that this spreads to it being a school community that is reflective, and and what does that spread look like, or? You know, how do we do it? Is it possible? Do we, you know, do we have examples of that? Are we opening this up to everyone? Yeah, we can open up to everyone. It looked like Stephanie had a couple comments. Maybe we'll start with Stephanie and then go to um, go back to to Dennis and to Doc. 
Yeah, so I was going to um, give the example of my students uh, several years ago. Um, we had such a great uh, classroom environment, and the kids felt so comfortable talking about so many issues. It was a 12th grade cultural diversity class. And the kids said, we love that we have these conversations. We talk about such deep, meaty issues, and we want this to happen for our school. And so they came up with the idea of creating a chalkboard um, that they would place in the common space of the school, which is what they did. Um, so the kids built a chalkboard, you know, bought paints, chalkboard paints. Uh, we bought chalk, and they posed these questions and had the a holder with chalk uh, at the chalkboard. And they started off with fairly simple questions, you know, who are you, you know, tell us, you know, little things, and the questions got deeper, but the thing that um, we were all amazed at, other teachers said, you know, this isn't going to work, the kids are going to deface it, they're going to vandalize it, um, you know, this is ridiculous. It didn't happen that way. The kids, first of all, you know, new item out in common space, um, everyone wanted to go see it, but even the larger student body were just kind of floored that they were being asked their opinion about something and that there was all this chalk for them to just respond to the question. And the kids would come back um, over time, like oh, throughout the day, and they would read the conversation. People would add comments. We also moved the chalkboard around so it would, you know, one day it's in the library, one day it's in the student parking lot. And so the kids were starting to get very excited about where's the chalkboard, chalkboard going to be today. But it got kids talking, and the kids were saying, yeah, no one's asked me that before. And some of the questions were specific, like what could we do to improve our community? And kids had responses to that, and they, you know, you'd hear the chatter about, yeah, how come no one's asked us what we think about certain things? So um, the kids, it was just 12 kids in the class, but, you know, the whole high school is 500 people, and that was a real conversation starter and they felt so proud of themselves and the fact that teachers were even thinking yeah we need a chalkboard in the faculty lounge where we can uh, talk about things you know I gave that feedback to my students and they really felt empowered that something so small could have such a big impact on our campus thank you doc Dennis thoughts can you share um I love Stephanie's uh, example there. Um, one of the things that strikes me, Mary, as we're having this conversation is, is everything we've talked about so far in the classroom are ways to empower students. And I think once students feel empowered, that sense of power within them, it goes beyond them. One of the things that attracted me to work with and to come to Facing History to my first seminar many years ago was the title. Facing history and ourselves. I wanted our students, my students, to be intellectually involved in a rigorous way, thoughtfully looking at history and historical thinking skills and all that. But I also wanted them to look at our own world today and at the decisions they make in their own lives and in our society and, and in their everyday lives. And I find that that connection of looking at what we're doing in the classroom but looking at outside the classroom and looking at our lives. Um, it plays out in so many ways. Um, one of the things that was helpful um, is I worked with a team of teachers, and I think getting, you know, so we had in our classroom the driving question for the year in our social studies classroom was well, what are the conditions that create a just society? 
And that was the focus academically, but it really became our focus to look at our own school and our own school community. And so there was a natural interplay between how we look at history, the skill we were working on, which was written in the two things in the biggest letters in my classroom and the importance of space. We haven't talked about space today yet. And I think in terms of creating that reflective classroom community, space is enormously important. Students at times in a circle, facing each other in small groups, looking at each other. What's on the walls? What are key questions? I think space is an important element to think about and to be intentional about when we're trying to create that reflective classroom community. But I'm, in my own classroom, the two biggest letters, things in letters, was the question of the year, what are the conditions to create a just society, which wasn't just on the wall, but was integrated throughout every class, every day, and a skill. And the skill was to look deeply, to get underneath, to ask why, to try to understand what was driving people, the human behavior piece. Okay, um, And what happened among the team of teachers I was working with is they could see this having an impact on students. We'd be talking about how the Nazis, for instance, attacked gays uh, during the Holocaust. And I remember talking about that and reflecting on our own society. About three days later, class is ready to begin, and Jane comes running up to me. Mr. Miller, you would have been so happy with Louisa yesterday. We were on the basketball team, and we're on the school bus. And we're riding with the boys' team, and we're going to the other town to play the game. And one of the boys on our basketball team started putting down another kid. Then he called him a fag. And Jane stood up right away and said, don't you say that. That's offensive to me and to others and to anybody who's gay. And I, I mean, the issues that happen in the classroom, they see that there's a world outside. They're, and come back to the word that, that I heard Stephanie use. They've been empowered to see that they can make a difference. And when they look deeply and they face these issues and they realize we're about creating a just society, teachers saw it playing out in the hallways and in their classes. I met with teams of teachers who asked questions because they saw the kids thinking about bigger issues besides just the history we were looking at and wanted to integrate it. And we had teams like, we want to create a just society among our own uh, school. And how do we do that? And those questions played out and we looked at the cafeteria. Who sits with, and they raised all kinds of questions. So it really, um, in a very organic way, when it's done well in the classroom, uh, I think there can be an organic, natural overflow to look at the school and at the larger society as well. And I just want to add a, a, a one piece, which is um, in some research that we were doing in a, uh, among uh, eighth graders, um, there had been um, uh, an incident where uh, a girl had been ostracized from her peer group. And actually, on the Facing History website, there's an entire case study of that. But what I want to connect, how I want to connect that to this discussion is to point out that in a safe and reflective classroom environment, the hope would be that students would be able to decide when they're ready to share something that's going on that's of a personal nature and when not to. And that the, the idea isn't that in an open clim classroom climate that everything is shared. And it's hard sometimes for teachers to figure out where those lines are. In this case study, the teacher knew what was happening outside of the classroom, the bullying that was going on over time. And she struggled with, do I bring it into my classroom? I mean, I'm trying to create an open, honest environment for, for conversation. What should I do? And those dilemmas are, are not always easy to resolve. And that's why I started 
earlier around talking about having colleagues to discuss that with, that the relationship between what you know is going on in the culture of the school and how it contrasts with what you're aiming for in your classroom and that back and forth and whether you, you make it explicit or you leave it, leave it alone and deal with students one-on-one -on -one outside of class, those are important decisions and they all affect the, the, the safety of the classroom. Thank you all for sharing on that. And it is making me excited already for the next webinars in this series because um, Doc brought up using justice, talking about the Holocaust, and that's what we're going to talk about next week is, is bringing it into the curriculum with the Holocaust and human behavior. And some of the questions that Stephanie brought up are um, what we're going to be looking at the following week when we think about issues of race, class, and gender, and particularly using the To Kill a Mockingbird um, book and study guide that Facing History has um, and really kind of why we do that where it's not just a we set it up at the beginning of the year and we have a one shot where we look at you know safe schools or anti-bullying but really the, the significance of establishing the classroom community as you've both described and then using that throughout the year to dive deep into the curriculum. Um, we're going to be wrapping up uh, pretty soon here, so I wanted to do just a quick go around uh, a final thought or inspiration that you want to leave viewers with before we end our broadcast today. Stephanie, you want to begin? I guess um, one of the things, you know, because I have been teaching for more than 20 years and I am connected with a lot of um, prior students or past students on social media, I'm really encouraged and inspired by the trajectory of where this all leads. Um, some of the things that my former students are doing and saying um, just humble me, inspire me, and it's so encouraging to know that, you know, sort of once a person crosses over and really sees themselves as empowered, as an agent of change, as a person who can make a difference, um, the way that they take that into their adult lives and beyond is just so, like I said, inspiring. Um, so I guess it's never been um, anything I've regretted, the, the time I've spent getting to know my students, um, having these conversations, uh, creating a classroom that is warm and welcoming and allows people to uh, deal with issues that are a little bit thorny, a little bit controversial, or even a lot thorny and controversial, but giving them a space where they are safe to express themselves and explore and learn. Um, I have never regretted the time spent on that. Yeah, I know we have curriculum we all have to cover, um, but far and away the kids are not remembering the curriculum so much as they're remembering the experience of being a learner and being a doer. Um, and I'm so happy to sort of send my students off with that. You're a learner and you're a doer. Nice. Doc and Dennis? A um, couple final thoughts. I, I just spent the morning over in Cambridge, Massachusetts with one of my former students who has spent the summer in Cyprus working with Palestinian and Israeli educators. And, and, and she was telling me how so much of what we talked about years ago in our Facing History class sparked her her drive to keep working on this issue of justice. And, and as we close, there's just a couple other things I'd like to say because that word Stephanie used earlier of students being empowered. And being empowered, they take it outside. Other ways to empower, just, just what are other things that help create that empowering 
reflective classroom community. A couple things that I'll just mention that I think are key. One is a culture of questioning to encourage and allow that classroom to be a place where students ask questions. What's the point of view of the author? Why would she or he have, you know, be saying this? Is this credible evidence? What is the historical context? What are the causes? What are other perspectives that we're not hearing? Um, there are so many things to focus on. So that to, to have questioning and to value students' questions, key. Silence, a strategy that is the most powerful, underused strategy in American and probably, as far as I can tell, worldwide education. Stephanie mentioned the gallery walk, where it's silent and they look. We have big paper silent conversation, even something like Think, Pair, Share. So many of the strategies we and other groups promote went with silence in the classroom. It sends the message to the students that we respect you as thoughtful learners. And I think integrating and thinking about how we use silence. Um, allowing a variety of ways, and Stephanie referred to this, for students to express themselves. I had students expressing history through dance, through music, through poetry, through artwork, through plays, through musical compositions, and other students interpreting it. And, and so using the arts and integrating it into history. And finally, I'd just say creating space for diverse viewpoints, which we've talked about. I'll end with, I was coming back from London uh, doing Facing History work there, and I was reading a book called The Dignity of Difference, great title, and the subtitle I loved, How to Prevent the Clash of Civilizations by Jonathan Sachs, British writer. And he summed it up in one word, which I love. Here it is, one word. The word was conversation. And I think that's what we are doing in these reflective, safe classroom communities. He describes conversation as composing two elements, and this is what we need to create. First one, he says, is communicating, allowing the students to express their thoughts, their experiences, their questions, having the chutzpah, the courage to speak their voice, and we've said that. And the second one, and I think it's more important, second quality for conversation, first is communicating, and the second is listening entering into the world of the other. Humility. Sam Weinberg, talking about the study of history, talks about the importance of humility for the teacher, for the students, and for all of us to be in awe as we ask questions, knowing that none of us has a corner on the truth. This kind of openness is key to that reflective classroom. All of those help empower all of us to do something about creating a more just, compassionate world. So we, we hear so much these days about college and career readiness. Um, and the, there's a movement, uh, the three C's uh, for social studies, but really for schooling, which includes the third C after college and career readiness, which is readiness to participate in the civic sphere. Um, you know, a lot of schools espouse that, that um, their mission is to prepare uh, students to participate in society, not just to be workers or students. But so, much, so often there's a lack of coherence between that espoused vision and what actually happens in classrooms. And I think what we've been talking about today is that there's really an urgent need to have more coherence between what we're saying is important for young people to learn and what actually happens in classrooms that reflects that more directly and more honestly. 
what Doc just talked about, the conversation, if we don't give students the opportunity for open conversation where they have the chance to listen and to communicate, to, to develop a, a, a deeper awareness of where other people are coming from and who they are, then we're not really living up to the espoused goal of using schooling to prepare students for that broader, that broader mission um, of, of developing thoughtful, active, humane citizens. Thank you. Those are powerful sentiments to leave us with. Um, and I am already looking forward to the next conversations this month in our webinar series. I think this is a great way to start off the series around creating upstanders. Um, so everybody knows this video will be immediately available um, on www.connectedlearning.tv. Um, and an extra uh, notice, they also have additional content. So if you want to see more about the bullying and ostracism case study that Dennis mentioned, there's a link straight on that. Um, if you want to read an, uh, an essay that Doc wrote that really details what the um, components of a safe and reflective classroom community are, um, you can see that and dive in. Um, we also have a link to a blog post that Stephanie wrote of five tips for starting off the, the school year in creating the right classroom community. So I hope that you'll go to that website and take a look at the additional materials as well as share the recorded webinar with anybody who may have missed it. Um, if you uh, do want to keep the conversation going, please feel free to continue using the hashtags Connected Learning and Upstander and keep that conversation going on Twitter um, and again on the, the um, Learn, Teach, Share blog that comes out of the Southern California Office of Facing History. Uh, we will also embed these webinar recordings, um, have additional content, and um, this week have additional strategies that we like for creating classroom community. Um, Please share this conversation with your networks if you enjoyed or found it valuable as you start the school year. Um, and if you would like to know about upcoming webinars with Connected Learning TV, again, visit www.connectedlearningtv to sign up for the email newsletter. Thanks again to everybody who joined us for this conversation. It was really wonderful to have, spend this hour talking about safe and reflective classrooms. Thank you. Thank you.